Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. I don't know if you guys have seen on the news this week um, about the, the gentleman in, I think it was Massachusetts, is that Cape Cod? That, I might be making that up, is that right? That, so the, the guy, his name was uh, Michael Packard, and so he, <laughs> so here's the story. He was, uh, he, he dives for lobster. That's his job, right? And so he was diving for lobster and then he feels like he got hit by a truck while he's in the ocean. You can't make this stuff up, okay? We just started this series on Jonah. You probably know where I'm going. He get, feels like he gets hit by a truck and he thinks, oh no, I've been eaten by a great white, right? Because it, when he's out there diving, the great whites are something that they see daily. And so, but then he realizes that there's no teeth, and lots of space to move around, and he, he kind of starts to panic, and he realizes, oh, <laughs> he said to myself, oh my gosh, I'm in the mouth of a whale, right? Like this guy was swallowed by a whale while we're in the middle of a series on Jonah, and this week we're actually talking about the instance with the whale. I mean, you know, if God's not sovereign, I don't know, okay, I'm not saying that God made him get swallowed, okay, but, but there's, <laughs> he survived, he got a broken leg, and the, it was in, he was in the mouth for, of the whale for, for seconds, um, he he started to panic because his he was, the mouthpiece for his tank came out, so he didn't know whether he was going to get swallowed or suffocate, but he just knew he was about to die. But then as he was flailing around, the whale spit him out, and there's people following on a boat, and they rescued him and got him to a hospital, and he's fine, but now he's got a uh, whale of a tail to... to <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist, right? But, but how crazy is that? So that really doesn't have anything to do with the message, but I couldn't not talk about it because it's insane that we have a, a real-life situation where a man is swallowed by a whale while we're in the middle of this series on John. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to kind of look at this incredible moment where Jonah is swallowed by this giant fish, and he's inside the fish's belly, and he has the uh, wherewithal to write this poem, this prayer. It's, it's a prayer of worship to our God, and we're going to dive in and unpack what that means for us and, and, and kind of um, 
where we're going to go from there. But at, before we get there, I kind of want to just take a second and ask, you know, have, has anybody in here ever been that you're going to answer that question with a yes, right? Because it, I can think back at times all throughout my life, whether I was in middle school, high school, college, there, it, your age doesn't matter. We've all experienced a time. Now, granted, I can look back and see the rock bottom that I was in in middle school might not have really been a rock bottom, but at the moment, it felt like rock bottom. And so there's this sense that we all know what it means to be at the bottom, to be at the end of our rope where there's just doesn't seem like there's anywhere else to go. There's anxiety, there's stress. It seems like there's no way out. It can feel hopeless and dark. And today we're going to kind of look at what happens when Jonah gets to that point, right? We talked about last week how he went down to Joppa, down into the boat, down into the, the uh, middle of the boat where he's asleep. Then he gets thrown overboard down into the boat. He's just, he is finally hit bottom, and in that, while he's in the bottom, he encounters God. And so this message is going to be one of when we're at bottom, what's happening. And, and, and I think if you know what it's like to be there, that this message is going to be for you, whether you're there now or you're, there's going to be an instance in the future, or you can just look back and know at a time when you were at bottom and you felt like God wasn't near. But while I think it's going to be for you, it might not necessarily be the way you want it to be for you. Because the truth about the Bible is it can be really hard. The Bible is not always going to be sunshine and roses. And there's times where we go through and we read scripture and we can come across a verse that kind of doesn't make sense with our understanding of scripture. I've got a couple here that I'm just throughout my walk with Christ and throughout understanding and, and diving into the Bible. I've run into these verses at times and been like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, right? So there's a verse that says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Like I could remember being a teenager, not really understanding the, the Bible's teaching, but getting to this verse, knowing that I have this Bible that's this grab bag of verses that's gonna tell me how to live, and now it's telling me to hate my family? Like that didn't make sense to me, right? Or, or what about this one? It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So, okay, so we're not supposed to love the world, but then there's, you know, the famous verse of John three sixteen that says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love the Father is not in them. I put that in there twice. John three sixteen is, for God so loved the world. So, so we're not supposed to love the world, but God loved the world. And there's these times where we're reading the Bible, and if we don't take the Bible and all of the all of Scripture, we don't let the Bible interpret the Bible, and we don't spend time in the Word, and we we just take these verses. It can be confusing. There can be contradictions. There can be times where we can make the Bible kind of say whatever we want. And the problem, because the Bible can be hard to understand, what we have a tendency to do as fallen human beings, is read the Bible, and when we come across a verse or a passage that clicks, that makes sense, that we buy into, that fits our worldview, we kind of make those verses the ones we highlight. We memorize them, we put them on a t-shirt or a coffee mug, or we get them tattooed on our wrist or something like that, because these are the verses that make sense, and we kind of have a tendency to take the, the verses we like, and we create a grab bag of, of moral teachings and then we take the verses we don't like and we just kind of ignore those. 
And what happens is we can end up taking verses out of Scripture. For example, we all know Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this verse is, is actually Paul talking about, I can have plenty or I can have none. I can be hungry or I can be full. I can, I can, have, um, I can be in prison or I can be free. But it, it has nothing to do with winning a football game. It has nothing to do with saying, you know what, I'm 5'3", I've never played basketball in my life, but I think I'm going to go play for the Hawks next week because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we take this verse and we kind of take it out of context and we use it as a motivational tool. But the Bible is more than that. And so we, what I'm, I'm, I'm pointing all this out because I want us to understand that there's some times where the Bible has hard teaching that we have to listen to and understand that we can't just create a, a grab bag of verses that allows us to live our life how we want to. We have to, we have to read the Bible for what it is. Context is everything. Context is good listening. As we dive into this part of Jonah, we have to understand that we have to take the Bible in context. We have to look at what's going on around them. And this is, it's more than just a, a Bible religious thing. Like context is what is, is, like I said, good listening. I mean, I think about, think about just this fictional story where you're sitting in a coffee shop and you uh, take a second from your work. You kind of look up and you can overhear a conversation between two ladies sitting next to you. And one of them just says, I'm going to kill him. Right? And in that moment, you're like, wait, what? And you, you could take it out of context and you could play all these scenarios in your head. Like maybe she's mad at her husband and I need to call the police, right? Or, or maybe uh, she's uh, mad at her dog. We had, there was one time where I really thought I was going to kill my dog because every day we came home and there was dog mess. We're just going to call it that everywhere where he would go in his crate and then he would like fling it out of his crate all over the living room. And it was like, he hated being in his crate. And every day we come home, we knew we were coming home to a mess. And I probably said the words, I'm going to kill him. Right. Or maybe, maybe it's anxiety. Maybe she's got a newborn son and, or she's about to have a baby and she doesn't know if she's going to be a good mom. And she thinks I'm going to kill him. Right. Context is everything. There's a hundred different scenarios that those words can mean whatever it means. But if we're not in the context, we don't know how to take and apply those words. So when we're looking at the Bible, we have to understand that context is everything. Because if we don't, if we don't understand the context, we end up believing in what, what I've come to call Santa Claus Jesus, right? The Santa Claus Jesus is just this Jesus that we pray to and we, we create this list of things we want and we present it to him. And then if we're good boys and girls, then he'll grant us our wishes. I mean, he'll grant us our prayers, right? And we kind of look, go through life and we're like, you know what? Jesus is this person that, man, I really need that job. I'm going to be good this week. Or man, I really want God's presence in this situation. I'm going to behave. And then here's my list, God. I need you to do these things. I've been a good boy. And we kind of turn Jesus into this Santa Claus figure where if we're good, we present him with the list. He's going to grant our wishes. But that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the God that we worship. That's not the God that we talked about. And what happens is if we live our whole life, and this is, I honestly see this playing out in American Christianity very prominently right now. People have this image of a Santa Claus Jesus, and they, then there's no doubt in my mind that as you go through life and you experience life, you're going to get to a place where you are, are empty and angry because that God does not exist. God is not this Santa Claus figure that's going to give us what we wish if we behave. And so when life gets hard and things get difficult and that God's not granting our wishes, well, he must not be real. 
And people begin to deconstruct and walk walk away from their faith because the God that they learned about, the God that they internalized from this grab bag of verses is not the real God. And today we're going to be looking at Jonah. We're going to get a picture of God that is not an easy one to grasp. But the truth is, it's a good God. And it's a God that's going to give us what we need. So I want to take a second and put Jonah in context, right? Jonah is a prophet book. You can kind of look through the Old Testament and they're kind of separated in different ways. There's this this section towards the end of the Old Testament where you have the the major prophets and the minor prophets. And they're all kind of, uh, the prophets kind of bring God's word to God's people. They hear from the Lord and they present that word to God's people. It's it's kind of like uh, they see the sin of God's people and they're kind of calling it out and they're proclaiming the judgment of God on his people. But there's always this proclamation that comes with like a hope towards repentance or delivery from God for his people. And so it's a book of words spoken by the prophets. But then we get to Jonah, and it's a little bit different, right? Because you kind of see that there's sin, there's proclamation, there's a hope towards repentance, but it's not the words of Jonah, it's the story of Jonah. So we kind of get this picture that we've read about of these stories that we've seen, these words that we've heard. Now we get a kind of a picture of it kind of playing out in front of us. So I kind of want to highlight, I talked about uh, before the time of prayer, we talked about Psalm 124, 3, and it says that they have swallowed us up alive with their anger and that, that has flared against us, right? And you see that those are those words of being swallowed. The author is saying there's a swallow. There's, they, you can picture that coming from Jonah. But there's also uh, Hosea, Uh, chapter 8, verse 8, and it says, Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. Or Jeremiah 51, 34 says that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. He has thrown us into confusion. He has made us an empty jar. Like a serpent, he has swallowed us up and filled his stomach with our delicacies and then has spewed us out. You can see in those, those verses, this picture of Jonah, right? Jonah's swallowed by the well, spit out by the well. And so what I kind of want to highlight, and, and this can kind of be like, man, you, wow, how did you know all those verses kind of come together and all that? This is really easy. Like whether you are have Bible dictionaries or all kinds of tools, you can literally just go to BibleGateway.com and type in swallowed in the search bar, and it'll pop up all the verses where it says swallowed. Like, like you don't have to be a uh, seminary graduate to understand and see how the Bible has these pictures where, where verses are kind of hyperlinked together. You can go in and you can study this for yourself, at, at, no matter what your age is, no matter how smart you think you are. And there's this beautiful picture all throughout the Bible where you see the enemies swallowing God's people or God's people being punished by being swallowing by the enemies. And there's this sense of, there's always this call to repentance. There's always this call to changing and turning your life back towards God. And and so when we get to the book of Jonah, we see this happening not by words being spoken, but by something actually happening. And you see, this kind of goes back to week one, and I'm not going to go back and dive into it, but where we kind of get into the question of whether this is a historical event or if it's a parable or somewhere kind of in between. But regardless of where you fall in that category, we know that the author is very, very intentional about telling this story, the words they use, and how they open it up and how they tell the story, because they want you to see that Jonah has been swallowed up And there's a call to repentance, there's a call to change, and we get to to kind of go through this poem and see what's happening in Jonah's life. Now, I know that that's kind of a a, a long intro here, but I want to just kind of 
to, to lay the foundation of, of seeing what's happening as Jonah is in the well. You've got to think, if, if you're an original reader, you're opening up, and you already know all this stuff. You already, th- th- this book comes after the Psalms. Like you, you already understand that, that, that the, you've read the Old Testament. You've seen the ne- King Nebuchadnezzar. You've read those stories in Genesis, Exodus, and on throughout the Bible. And so you kind of get to this, this book of Jonah, and you're like, oh, those things are coming to mind. And as you read this, you begin to look at yourself and say, wow, what is this saying to me? So we have to remember to put it in context. We now know that this is the context. Jonah is, is a prophet book. The reader is supposed to be taking all these things that they've read. It's in their mind and kind of hyperlinking it, linking it all together. And now we finally get to where he is in the belly of the fish. Now remember week one, we talked about the fish not being the focus, right? The, 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 it's in the, the uh, two verses in the whole uh, book. But Today, we're going to focus on the fish a little bit, right? We're going to focus on Jonah inside the belly of the well. And so what I want to see is just kind of what's going on. And the first thing here is that he is in this belly. And going back to last week, we know that this belly of the fish is the bottom of the bottoms. It's that rock bottom moment, the end of his rope, where he's gone down to Joppa, down to the boat, down to the vessel, down to sleep. They have thrown him overboard. Now he's been captured and, and engulfed by the waters. And now he's been swallowed by the fish. Now I want to kind of highlight, like, this is Jonah's own fault. Right? Jonah made these decisions. God called him to Nineveh. God called him to love and witness a people that he did not like. And he said, no, I've got a better idea for my life. I'm going to go the opposite way. I'm not going to listen and, and answer the call that God has for me. I'm going to go where I feel more comfortable. I'm going to go do the thing that I want to do. I have my own idea of what my life should look like. And in doing that, he begins to try to run from God. And so Jonah is at the rock bottom because of his own decisions. But it doesn't always have to be like that for us. Like I want to highlight that sometimes we end up at rock bottom or we end up full of anxiety and stress and torment, not because of our own decisions, but maybe because of someone else's. If we're going to stay in the Old Testament, you can look at Daniel. Daniel is in exile, not because of his own sins, but because of the sins of his parents. Or you can look at Luke 13, where we see a, there's a tower that collapses and 18 innocent people die. And we've got to understand that sometimes we live in a fallen world, and, and it's not because of our sin or someone else's sin, but just that this, the world is broken and tragedy happens. And we can end up in distress and anxiety at the end of our rope at rock bottom, not because of our, our own decisions or someone else's decisions, but because the world is broken. So rock bottom can happen to any of us. It can happen because of our choices, someone else's choices, or just because we live at the end, we live in a broken world. So I, kinda, I can't speak to your situation. I can't speak to your rock bottom, but, but I have no doubt that you've been there. You've been at that place where you can't do anything but cry. You can't do anything but fall apart. You just need people. You just need presence because you're at rock bottom. So I want, as we go through this, I kind of want to let let this poem that we're going to unpack be kind of glasses for your own story. As you look at how Jonah is experiencing the presence of God, picture yourself at rock bottom and think about how this poem teaches us about God's character and how that God's character can speak to us in our own situation. So I'm just going to pick up in in, uh, verse two at the beginning of this poem. And it says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. 
So at that moment of rock bottom, Jonah cries out to God. He cries out to God. Maybe, maybe you've been there. Have you ever been at a place where you're so rock bottom that you can't do anything but cry out to God? I think about a, a time when uh, it wasn't necessarily rock bottom because life had crashed around me, but it was rock bottom because I myself had crashed, right? So it, picture the story. I'm working at Starbucks. I'm opening, so I have to be there at like 5. It's like a 30-minute drive, so I'm going to leave my house like 4.15, 4.30 in the morning. But it's uh, South Carolina. It has been raining and temperature has dropped below freezing. So the roads are a little bit icy, but they're not like icy enough to close them, you know. So it's one of those weird times in the South where like, hey, you guys don't know how to drive on ice in the snow, but you're going to wing it anyway. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to wing it. I'm going to go and I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do my job. And so I go and I walk down the stairs and I'm walking to my truck and I don't even make it to my truck. Like there is this sheet of ice where the sidewalk kind of turns into the driveway. And it's like something out of a cartoon. Like literally my, my feet come up above my head and I fall flat on my back, right? On this icy concrete ground and I fall on my back and do, I can't move. I don't know if I'm paralyzed. I don't know, you know how like when you hit the ground and you like can't even breathe, like it knocks the air out of you. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, like I'm in all kinds of pain. And I'm like, it's 4.30 in the morning. Nobody is around me. Like everybody's still asleep. Lauren's inside. So I'm like, maybe I can cry out. And I'm like, Lauren, help me. And I'm crying out. She can't hear me, but I'm, I'm in this moment where like, I can't move. I can't breathe. I need help. And I look over and somehow my phone had come out of my pocket. That's how hard I fell and was laying next to me. So I managed to roll over and open my phone and hit wifey, and it calls Lauren, and I'm like, hey, um, I'm in the driveway, and I can't move, and I have to explain the story, she comes out, she hears my cry, right, she helps me get inside, I'm sore for like three days, but I get over it, it's not really a big deal, I'm even able to go to work later that day once I kind of shake it off, And but there's this moment for me, like it was a physical rock bottom, like I had hit the ground, and I couldn't move, because life <laughs> had crashed around me, But the truth is, if you've been at rock bottom, it may not be that physical pain for you slipping on ice. It may be a mental battle. It may be relationship heartache. It may be grief and the loss of someone. It could be the the anxiety of of not knowing how the next bill is going to get paid. It could be the the stress that comes from trying to raise kids and and give them the life you want them to have and them not listening or not walking in that path. I I don't know your rock bottom, but the truth is we all know what it means to be there. I've told this story before about when um, Addie Lee was first born and she wasn't breathing. We're crying out to God that he would, Lauren's literally laying there on the hospital bed. She says, fill her lungs with air and she starts to cry. There's this moment where we cry out to God. Jonah is crying out to God. And what does he do? God listens. God hears him. Jonah is in this situation because of his own choices. He's in this fish's belly. He's surrounded by water. He's he's in this distress because of the decisions he made. It's his fault. He cries out to God, and God listened to his cry. 
are often our default when we fall short or we sin, or we come to the end of our rope because of our own decisions. We think there's no way God's listening. There's no way God's with us. Go back to, to last week and we think about the sailors in the ship and they're like, Jonah, Jonah, you got to call out to your God. Maybe he'll notice us. And the reason they're in the storm is because God notices them. He, he sees Jonah running. There's times in our life where we're surrounded by the waters, where the fish is swallowing us up and we think we're alone and God is nowhere near us. But I'm telling you, all we have to do is cry out, and God is there. He is listening. And how do we know that God is listening? How do we know? How does Jonah know that God is listening to him? How does Jonah keep going to to keep reading the poem? It says, You hurled me into the depths of the sea, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled around me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. So, how does Jonah know that God listened to him? Well, because He's facing death. Now, wait a minute. Now, so you're saying that the water and the fish came from God. Jonah's like, you heard my cry because you surrounded me by a storm. You heard my cry because you brought up this fish. We even see that before the poem takes place at the beginning of chapter two, it says that God appointed the fish. This is the hard part we don't like to hear. Sometimes, sometimes God allows storms in our life for the very fact that he is trying to reach us. We make these decisions. God doesn't cause sin. He's not the author of sin, but very often he will allow us to get what we are chasing. Jonah makes his own decisions. He's the one that goes down. It's Jonah's fault. God didn't make Jonah run. But we, over and over again, we can look at the Bible and we can look at our own stories. When we see that we've hit rock bottom, whether it's our fault, someone else's fault, or just tragedy, that, that God can use those situations and he can and will redeem them. I think about Joseph. Joseph, who had, it wasn't his fault that his brothers chose sin. Right, yeah, maybe he was a little arrogant, but God had a plan for his life, right? And he began to kind of boast, and his brothers got mad and and listened to me. They probably had a right to be mad at him, but they didn't have to choose to to beat him up and throw him in a pit. But we see in that situation that, that in that moment, Joseph goes from pit to prison, to palace. God takes him into a a place of power. He uses that moment. He uses that, that sin that they created. God redeems it. There's nowhere that you can go that is out of the reach of God's redemption. Jonah has made these decisions. His life is in a storm because of the sin around him, because of the sins that he made. Yet he is hyper aware that God is involved. When your life is at rock bottom, when you're at the end of your rope, you have to understand that God is not sitting back biting his fingernails. He's not stressed out. He's not tapping his leg. Anybody a leg tapper? Like I, I'm guilty of this. I saw a video this week and it was like I was watching myself. If you, like I go to, to, to Starbucks and you can't like Starbucks, every order you get at Starbucks is complicated, especially my wife's, right? Like if she's watching, she knows. Okay, she has like this grande, four pump this, three pump that, cold foam, not, don't put this, no whipped cream, da, da, da. And it's like a novel to order her drink, right? And so I'm sitting there at the box and I'll start ordering it and she keeps 
keeps giving me all these little details. And then the guy in the video, he starts to get stressed as his wife is getting, his leg starts tapping. I'm like, dude, me too. Like if I start to get anxious, I tap my leg, right? So, so God is not up there tapping his leg. He's not wondering what's going on with Jonah. He's not wondering if Jonah's gonna survive this. He's not wondering if the storm is gonna be too much. He's not wondering if, if Jonah's got too low. Like God is there, he's on Jonah's side. He hears Jonah's cry. And this storm is a moment where Jonah had reached his rock bottom. And it's actually a moment of what, what one author calls a severe mercy. See, God appointed the fish. And this moment of Jonah being in the belly, it sounds like it's going to be awful. It sounds like he's, at, that he's going to die. But it's God's mercy that's allowing him to make a change. It's allowing him to see and become desperate for God to move. God is ever present with him despite the fact that, that he has put himself in this position. We think about God as this genie in a bottle. And if we just rub it and make the wish that he's supposed to grant it. And sometimes life is not perfect. Sometimes life is not easy. Our default position can't be that God's supposed to make life easy. Because that's when we get into the Jesus Santa Claus mode. And this can be hard to hear because we look at this short story and it shows us that, that bad things happen even when God is present. Bad things happen even when God is present. I've seen over and over again, I've had number, numerous conversations with people who, who make this claim that, that it's the, the, the problem of evil, right? If God is real, then how come evil exists? If he is real, then how, come you, how do you explain systematic racism? If God is real, how do you explain income inequality? If God is real, how do you explain genocide? How do you explain cancer? How do you explain cats? I don't like there's this sense of if God is real, why is there evil in the world, right? And there's no doubt if you're a believer and you're in America, you've heard this question. And even as a Christian, I can remember so many times where people are like, okay, well, you believe in God, but if God is real, then how come this happened? How come my mom got cancer? How come my sister drowned? How come this evil exists if God is real? And so I just want to take a second and just, the people who are reading this book of Jonah, that, that question of, of, of if evil is real, why is God, is God, that didn't come around until, I mean, within a few decades ago. We're talking maybe hundred within the last hundred years that that question kind of became a philosophical question. It was not even thought about as a question for in, the, in the biblical times. And I think here's why. And this, is, this comes, was first shown to me by N.T. Wright and, and it doesn't answer the question perfectly, but it really, I don't know, it hit home for me. Because if we'd say, okay, all right, I'll, get, I'll concede because there's evil, God isn't real. So let's say for a second, God is not real. The evil still happens. The evil still happens. Like, like it, the, the evil doesn't go away because you take God out of the picture. Jonah's still swallowed by the well, even if God isn't real. But in that moment, we realize that even though evil is real, even though evil is around us, God is ever present in that situation. With God, there's hope. There's hope that I can improve. There's hope that my neighbor can improve. There's hope that ultimately all of creation will be made new and perfect with Christ's return. God doesn't, it's not that because evil is real, God doesn't exist. It's that evil is real and God is ever present with us, allowing us to have the ability to change, allowing us to fight evil, allowing us to, to, to go to prayer and take real action to make a difference, to, to proclaim the name of Jesus. That's the answer for evil. God, God's presence is what makes evil not win. God is victorious. 
The God of the Bible is not this Jesus God that's supposed to get rid of all evil. And that's, that's, that's the problem is when we make that picture, we end up walking away from faith because that's not the real God. The God of the Bible chose to, to partner with humanity that was created in his image. And he wanted to rule over creation with them. But that humanity, we sinned. We chose creation over the creator. And now God is calling his people back to himself and molding and shaping us. He wants to shape our character that we might know the truth of who we are and who he is. Who he created us to be. And sometimes, sometimes that involves a severe mercy. Allowing something in our life that brings us to the end of ourselves. It's, it's an old cliche, but, but I think it rings true. When we're at rock bottom, the only place to look is up. When I had slipped and fallen on that ice and I'm laying on the ground, I'm just looking up, right? When we get to a place in life where there's nothing else to do, we cry out to God and he listens and we know he's listening because he's allowed whatever situation to happen and he is so present in that moment. There is no sin beyond God's redemptive reach. There is no sin beyond God's redemptive reach. Let's keep reading. It says that, that I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward the holy temple. This highlights, this highlights that severe mercy, right? So Jonah is running. He's running from God. He thinks, man, he's almost proud of it. He's like, I finally made it. Like he gets to the boat. He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. He's like, I have successfully run from God. I'm, I'm on my way. God doesn't know what's going on. I've escaped his plan. Life is good. And he says, I've been banished from your sight. And then in that moment, right after that verse, it switches. It says, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. I've been banished. It's like there's this, this is that rock bottom moment. There's this, this turn that happens because of the severe mercy that God has shown him. It's like that, that head slap moment where Jonah's like, oh man, I was getting what I wanted. I was driven from your sight. He was running from God's presence. And it's like God gave him what he wanted. But then he says again, I will look at your holy temple. Though I was running from your presence, I didn't escape it. He almost got what he wanted. But that would have been the end of him. Because running from God always leads to death. So often when we're in the midst of our own sin, we're running towards death and we don't even realize it. Selfishness, like I just think about selfishness on our own terms and how we want, maybe we want a family member to do something our way. And we get so angry because they're not doing it our way and we lose our temper and we, and we, we punish them or we, we say some words that we later regret because we want to kind of control them and get them to do something our way and we're, we become selfish in our own pride. But it's in that moment that, that if we are fully given over and we get what we wanted, that pride and that selfishness will in the end completely separate that relationship. I've seen over and over again, family members, parents and kids, siblings who don't even communicate anymore because of selfishness has divided the family. There's so often that like Jonah is running from God and if we keep running towards death, eventually God will allow us to get what we're running towards. He's a loving God. He doesn't force himself upon us. And in that moment where he gives us what we're going for, he gives us what we're chasing, that's the storm raging around us. And Jonah has this head slap moment because he said, I was banished from your sight. I was getting what I was after. Yet again, I will look towards your holy temple. Thank God for your severe mercy. I will now once again look to you. I was running from God and I almost made it. 
but thank God for his severe mercy because once again, I look to him. He goes on to kind of reiterate everything he's already said. He says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. I really get a picture of like Jonah in the, in the well of the fish, in the, in the belly of the fish. Seaweed wrapped around my head. It says, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. There's that picture of going down again. The earth beneath barred me forever. There's this sense of finality, the sense of end. But it says, but you, Lord, my God, brought my life back up from the pit. He kind of repeats this story. He reflects on God's mercy. He says that God brought my life back from the pit. He brought me back from rock bottom. And when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. The prayer ends with this beautiful song of praise and gratitude. And what I want to highlight is Jonah hasn't been spit out of the fish yet. The fish, the fish hasn't vomited him up, is the, what the, the words the Bible uses, right? He is still in the belly of this fish, yet he is singing the praise to God. This is, is, is clear lack of oxygen, right? Like he's got to be out of his mind because he's, he's still on his way to death. Like he's still in the belly of the fish, yet praise God, thankful, grateful praise Salvation comes from the Lord. In the midst of the battle, in the midst of the storm, he is still singing. He is still praising God. It's hard for us to know that we're in the midst of this severe mercy, that maybe life is crashing around us because God is trying to get our attention. There can be, it can be hard for us to know what's going on. But what I can tell you is we can focus on the fact that we are never outreached from God. We are never out of reach for his redemption. And that if we're in the midst of the storm, we can know that God is still ever present with us. And knowing that he is present with us, that he is always calling us back to himself, that he is molding us and changing us, that he has our best in mind, that can raise up praise even when we're in the midst of the storm. I think about Acts 16 with Paul and Silas, and we've talked about it before. They're literally in jail, cuffed in chains. They're, they're, They're in jail. What do they do? They don't fret. They're not anxious. They're not stressed. They're singing worship hymns to God. They're praising his name. They're singing in the chains. See what I did there? Singing in the, they're singing in the chains. And in that moment, they're not free. Like they don't know that there's going to be a big earthquake and they're going to be able to escape. And even though they don't escape, they stay. And because of that, the jailer is found is, uh, pointed to Jesus. So there's all this, all that is going to happen. But they don't know that. All they know is I'm in jail and I'm going to praise God for it. You can be in this storm. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's not. But what I can tell you is that God is on your side. And even if you feel trapped, even if you feel chained up, even if you're at rock bottom at the end of your rope, that God is with you and you are not outside of his reach. And we can take this moment in the storm to praise his name. So I want to close with this. Everywhere you look, sin is wreaking havoc on our world. If you find yourself in the pit, stuck at rock bottom, You are not alone. God is with you. You may be there by your own sins, and maybe God's allowed this to to kind of get you, has allowed all this storm to raise up to give you what you were chasing as as a chance to point you back to him. 
Maybe you're there because of the sin of someone else or maybe you're there because of tragedy. And the hard reality is your circumstances may not improve. Santa Claus Jesus is not real. The cancer may not go to remission. The insurance might not cover the damage. The abuse can't be undone. But you are not alone. God sees you. God sees you and he is with you. And let me say this, and, and this is kind of something that I just added it, it, free of charge, right? So it, it kind of fits with the message, but not really. But I just felt like the Lord wanted me to say this. It's extra, it's free. You don't have to work, pay for it, okay? God appointed the fish as a sign of his severe mercy to Jonah. And Jonah knew in that moment that he wasn't a goner, that, that, that our sovereign Lord was with him even at rock bottom. You may not know that. But let me be a presence in the word in your life today that you may think you are at rock bottom, but God has appointed this message for you to let you know that he is with you. And more than that, more than that, your neighbor, your coworker, the person you don't like, they may not realize that they're at rock bottom because God is with them. Maybe he's appointing you to be like the fish. Maybe he's appointing you to be the signpost, to be the beacon, to be the presence of God in your neighbor's life, that they might know that God is with them. And, and if someone is, is like Jonah, right, where it's their decisions, where they have run, and they have ran and they've got as far away from God as they could, they're in the, the bottom of the boat asleep, you're not gonna be able to convince them that God is real, that God is after them, right? Because they're asleep at the wheel. But if you are present in their life, there will come a time where they wake up and they're gonna wake up at rock bottom. Just be there to let them know that God has not forgotten them. God is with them and God is with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it can be hard to hear that rock bottom might be by your design. But I pray this morning that we will know the very real presence of you in our life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just encourage us, empower us to to not try to run from the storm, but to seek your face no matter what our circumstances say. Let us find that, that you've designed us for more, that you've designed us to be in communion with you, and that despite what's going on around us, that we can fix our eyes on you, that we can love you, we can love our neighbor, that we can just bring you glory and find joy in that. Let us find our enjoyment in you despite our circumstances. Lord, now all of this said, I do want to just highlight that, that you still are on our side and that you still do work miracles. So I pray if there's a, a person in this room or watching online, Lord, that they're at rock bottom and, and it's not because you're trying to get their attention, but it's because of sin around them. Maybe it's a fallen world. Maybe it's a family member with cancer. I do pray for healing this morning because we believe in your power. We believe in your presence to change. Lord, we know that we are not stuck without you, that you are with us and you are on our side. Let us know your, experience your presence in a very real, powerful way. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.